0: Hello, and welcome to Great Ridge Station. I'm your host, Sam Helgerson, and I'm pretty much a fixture around these parts. Thanks for stopping in on your way through. Season 2, Episode 6. Thanks for joining us this time around. This is Part 4 of a series on what leaders actually do. After a bit of a diversion from my original plan, I've arrived where I thought I would be last week. This episode addresses the complexity around setting expectations. See, this is a difficult piece of the leadership puzzle, not because it is difficult in and of itself, but mostly because people are just so unpredictable. You can get everything just right and still have it turn out all wrong. On the flip side, you can get a lot of things wrong and still have it come out right. That does not absolve us of our responsibility to take on real leadership challenges and move forward in meaningful ways. Now last week I made the strong assertion that you have to be willing to lead from the front and not the rear. Now you can disagree with me, but I tend to think that managers push and leaders pull. So in this episode, I'm going to talk about the situations where leaders have to lead from the rear. Now, don't be bothered by the cognitive dissonance here. Life is full of paradox and seemingly contradictory ideas. No, things are not always rational, and that's one of the wonders of creation. I could talk about that for about an episode or two, but for now, let's put our emphasis on leading from the rear and learning to lead by setting expectations. Have you ever given this uncomfortable truth any consideration? The lowest performer sets the standard. Again, another piece of wisdom from my brilliant wife. Let me repeat that for you in case your mind was wandering. The lowest performer sets the standard. Years ago, I worked with a manager who was, well, kind of an idiot. Thankfully, this was not someone I worked for directly, but being in retail, I found myself filling in when he or one of his staff were on vacation. Now some of you might think I'm being harsh when I refer to him as an idiot. Perhaps I am, but I'm willing to bet that you never met him. So it was sad, really. I watched over the course of about three years as everyone who worked for him gradually became a low performer. My boss would never work with anyone who had ever worked for this particular manager. So, let me tell you about my boss. I was a kid at the time, and Mike was an excellent boss. He had really high expectations for us, and he made sure that any of us who worked there would be able to handle anything, including running the store. He made the nightmare of inventory night the social highlight of the year, and he taught me that we could be productive and still have a good time. He took the time to coach us and help us to develop some business sense, and when we had to make hard decisions, if we had a good rationale for what we had done, he would back us up. And when I asked for, and got, a transfer to another town, the manager there was amazed at how much I knew about the business. Now, there are a few obvious lessons there, but I want to talk about what I've learned about setting high expectations. These are things that I've learned, developed, and applied to my own leadership ever since. They basically fall under four main categories. Equip, Coach, Delegate, and Review. There's a fifth category that I'll talk about when we get to that point, but let's start with these four first. First of all, Equip. This is a big one. So big, in fact, that I have two episodes planned on equipping, slated for Season 3. Equipping involves giving people the knowledge, ability, and resources to do what they need to do. Mind you, this is not about helping them do what you do, but about helping them to do what they need to do. I thought about Mike, that manager from years ago, a lot of times. He had one equipping rule that we loved and hated. He would never ask us to do something that he was unwilling to do himself. He demonstrated this by cleaning the bathrooms, and guess what? That meant that we had to clean the bathrooms too. He taught every one of us on staff how to clean it and how to have it up to standards. And if someone missed their turn at cleaning, he might expect them to come in on their day off to get it done. No excuses were accepted. That was our most menial task, but he joined us in it. He did not weasel out of it because he was the boss. Like any good leader, Mike made sure that we knew everything we needed to know in order to succeed. He made us learn our products, the store layout, shipping and receiving. He gave us a real sense of what it meant to actually run a business. Because, well, that's what we did. Now, unlike the bad manager that I mentioned earlier, Mike knew how to equip people to succeed. What he taught us went far beyond our work there, evidenced by the fact that I'm still grateful for his mentorship. In those days, I had a propensity for making excuses. If I made a mistake, I was far more likely to dodge the issue with an excuse than I was to accept responsibility. He taught me the value of accepting personal responsibility, and I think he was one of the major influences that made me give up on excuses and step up. Have some guts. Admit to successes and failures, and figure out how to get it right next time. The best leaders provide knowledge, but they also help us to develop our abilities. Have you ever thought about why you have certain abilities? You know, it's part of the plan, and the things that you are good at become part of the way that you serve people better. That's true even in the most financially driven business setting. If you're not serving people and serving them well, your profits will evaporate. In a very practical sense, your abilities are about service to others. Your clients, your customers, your guests, your patients, whatever you call them, give them your best. In a biblical sense, your abilities are about serving God and others. That's part of the design. Now, the last element of equipping, at least the last that we're discussing here, is in providing the resources necessary to excel. Proper resourcing is a skill. It involves budgets, future planning, projections, capital expenditures, and a hundred other things from business textbooks. But the point of resourcing is our ability to help our colleagues move beyond their personal limitations. That's what resources are for. Stephen Covey has made the famous assertion that we need to sharpen the saw. Yes, I'm being a bit of a meaniehead head about this, but Covey makes an insurmountable assumption there. Where did that saw come from in the first place? Somewhere, there was resourcing going on. In this equation, we as leaders need to provide the saw, training on how to use it, sharpening tools and training on how to use them and also the time to do that. Now, if you've had an occasion to actually sharpen a saw, you know that it is painstaking, time-consuming work. You have to have the right tools. The angles have to be precise. Get it wrong and the saw won't cut very well. Proper resourcing means not only the tools, but the training and development necessary to get it right. As leaders, we fail if we provide one without the other. I've always found it frustrating and a bit ironic that when budgets get tight, training and development is often one of the first things to get cut. So, really, you don't want people doing their jobs well? and you don't want them to be able to adapt to changing times and maybe a more complicated marketplace? Yeah, that makes sense. Cut training and development funds, and then wonder why things aren't going so well. Uh, Enough pontificating. I'm ready to move on. In case you had forgotten, that chunk was all about our need to equip others to excel. The next chunk, we need to be able to coach. Let's admit it right up front. Sometimes our best developmental plans can really fall flat we can think we have someone prepared to step up and they fail they fail in ways that cost money or credibility and your first thought is they should have known better how you handle that situation as a leader can be a bellwether for future success oh yeah did i tell you i'm a word nerd a bellwether is an indicator kind of a front end trend identifier So, to paraphrase myself, how you handle the coaching aspect of your leadership can make a difference in your success and the success of those around you. You have to have the guts to say, well, that didn't go very well. (laughs) Let's figure out how to do it right next time. See, you have to be both kind and honest. Your focus should be on developing, not punishing. I'm not saying you never punish. Sometimes we have to. But our general attitude needs to lean toward course correction. Repeated errors demand stronger phrasing. But hey, there's no need to use foul language. I remember my grandfather, this is my dad's dad, he would say, there are plenty of good words in the English language, and if you have to use swear words to make your point, you probably don't have a big enough vocabulary. That said, my language is not as pristine as his was, but still, point taken. See, coaching involves helping people recognize good actions and bad actions and helping them to move consistently from bad to good. That involves intentionality. See, there's a step beyond coaching, and this is critical. Coaching involves teaching, but the next piece is delegating. This one involves trust. I've always hated it when leaders say things like, this is way too important for me to delegate. Well, yeah, that might be true in certain circumstances, but if you're not delegating, you're overdoing your job. The point of equipping and coaching is to prepare people to take on greater levels of responsibility. The leader who won't delegate is essentially saying, I'll do the important stuff and you can do the stuff that I don't want to do. That won't get you too far. This is a bit of a sidebar it won't take long. Uh, I've got friends who whine about younger generations and how difficult they are to lead. And my usual response is, shut up! Okay, maybe not out loud, but the millennials, Generation Y and Generation Z are great to work with. If you know how to lead them. One piece of that is to show them and help them see the value in what they're doing. Help them see how it matters. Okay, that ends the sidebar, but it still connects to the point. If you delegate important work to people, work that involves the real possibility of failure, they're way more likely to step up and give their best. Trust them with important projects. This is all about trust. First and foremost. You have to trust that you have actually equipped them and coached them to the point where they are ready for the challenging opportunity. I've come to the conclusion that leaders who struggle with delegation struggle because they don't trust that they have prepared people well. A lot of times, those fears are well-founded. This will be a learning opportunity for you, too. Now, second, though, you have to learn to trust the people that you have prepared. Are you going to trust them with the responsibilities for which you have prepared them? This is terrifying because you never know for sure who's going to step up and who's going to fall apart. That's why this one principle ought to guide you. Delegate without abdicating your responsibility to lead. Think of delegating as the first day you took the training wheels off the bike for one of your kids. They have the basics. They can ride. But at the start, they need more supervision. Sure, they might fall, they, but they get back on the bike. And by the time they're about 12 years old, the bike means freedom to them, and they no longer need your advice, uh, probably. So finally, the last piece is reviewing the process. This is typically called a post-mortem, but that sounds a little bit too dire for what I have in mind here. Once I've delegated a task or a project, uh, we have to come back and ask the questions, what went well? What could have gone better? And what did we learn for the next time? I think that's a good model for everyone, for every project. Ask those questions afterward to assess not only performance of the task, but how well your own leadership worked on getting people through to the finish line. I expect to do another episode in the future on how to do a project post-mortem, but for now, this should get you started. Get you started on finishing projects. Hmm. So, the four pieces of this process are to equip, to coach, to delegate, and to review. But I promise you another one. Don't forget that the point of this is setting high performance expectations. Remember, the lowest performer sets the standard. So your good leadership practice needs to set that performance bar high. I promised you one more, and that fifth category is what I like to call the cheerful wanna. Don't be all crabby, and don't let others be all crabby either. Foster an attitude of the cheerful wanna. Now, I am not an optimist. I'm not given to moments of boisterous celebration. I'm pretty low-key. But I've also discovered that my attitude shapes the attitudes of the people around me. I've learned to shape my work with the approach that... I want to do it, and that I want to be positive about it, and about the results of my work. And curiously, my attitude has followed my behavior in this regard. I lead people by helping them understand the value of the work we're doing. I demonstrate the cheerful wanna, and the people around me generally follow. I'm of the opinion if you can't master the cheerful wanna, people will never take pride in their work. They'll never step up. They'll never really excel. They'll tend to see their work and their role simply as a placeholder. They can do better than that. And for that to happen, you have to do better than that. Show them what high expectations look like in real life and how good it feels to meet them. Well, it's good to have you with us. Thanks for listening in. We're starting to build traction, and I keep asking for you to... Point your friends and colleagues in our direction. Give us a like, leave us a comment. Next time, if all goes according to plan, we'll look at a leader's responsibility in managing and distributing resources. It's all part of what leaders have to know how to do. Thanks for joining us at Great Ridge Station. All content is developed by Dr. Sam Helgerson with appropriate citations of outside sources. Our sound engineer is Brick Martin. All background and bumper media is in the public domain and retrieved from archive.org. The opening music is from Guy Lombardo, Down by the River. The closing music is from Annunzio Mantovani, Skyscraper Fantasy. Limited opportunities are available for supporting sponsorships. Contact information is available on our show page. I'm already looking forward to your next visit to Great Ridge Station. Bye-bye.